once again, Happy New Year. Yeah, 2023. Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. 2023. You know, I keep hearing people say we should be driving uh, space cars by now, right? Like the Jetsons? Wasn't that, uh, I don't know, they got smart cars? <laughs> they can drive themselves, right? Open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. First of all, I, I want to say thank you to each each one of you for uh, your prayers, your love. Uh, many of you text me during my, my travels this last week as we went to honor my mom. She passed away on the 15th, and we buried her on the 28th. So um, it was a very busy week. It's been a very busy couple of weeks, a uh, couple of months. Couple, it's been very busy. <laughs> and, uh, and needless to say, uh, we are exhausted, drained, uh, physically, emotionally. It was a uh, it was a good. It was a good turnout. Uh, I really appreciate you guys' prayers. The uh, the grandchildren did an amazing job. They all got together, raised the funds for the venue for the mariachis. You can't have a funeral without mariachis. Mexican funeral that is. Uh, the food, uh, everything. They they served everyone that was there. I mean, it was just amazing. People were just like, "Wow, this is really cool." Uh, it was it was a very good tribute to my mom, and uh, it, it was it was. I really appreciate your prayers. Thank you so much. Uh, and um, and I just wanted wanted to at least bring that out, and, and you know, and one of the things that we are talking about today is exactly that, and how we encourage one another. Uh, what what makes a faithful church? What is it that makes a faithful leader? What is it that makes a faithful uh, church that is going to grow and develop? And so this next year in 2023, and uh, we we've been out of Colossians for the last few weeks, and. And I'm glad that we stopped where we did because I was going to go into Colossians chapter 2, but then I, as I was studying it and getting ready for that next week, I realized that this is a very good message for the start of the year. Being today, January the 1st, 2023, it's the first Sunday, first day of the year, and it's a great way to start off the year with, uh, with faithful believers and, uh, and to see what is the mark of a faithful church. And Paul kind of gives it to us here. And when you, when you ask what kind of pastor you should have or what type of person, what makes a good pastor, and a lot of people say, well, you know, he's got to be a good speaker. He's got to be educated. He should be, uh, you know, funny at least. Uh, he should be caring. He should be uh, all kinds of things, you know. Everything else except for, some people even want a, um, almost like a CEO type of a pastor, one they can organize and, and strategize and build and go forth. But Paul, Paul right here is sharing his heart. Paul here is sharing who he is. He doesn't know these people that he's writing to. Uh, he's met them through Epaphras. Epaphras is a pastor there. And there's three cities, Colossus, uh, Hierapolis, and uh, Laodicea, that are kind of in this little triangle place that this letter is getting to. And so Paul had, hasn't met maybe some people out of Colossus, but not the others. <clears throat> And yet he struggles and he, he, he prays for them. And he, you have to remember, we've been gone out of Colossians now for a few Sundays going through Christmas. But you have to remember that what Paul was, where Paul was at, he was struggling to, to keep the, not necessarily the faith, but the word going out. He wasn't struggling for himself. He was in prison. He was getting ready to be executed anytime soon. He was going to go before Nero. And eventually they were just going to say, you know, just get rid of him. He's just another rebel it doesn't it didn't matter to them the roman empire they had so many rebels they had so many people that you know just you know what let's make some room let's kick them out but instead of you know catch and release back then they would just cut their heads off and that's what happened to paul by tradition we don't have it in the biblical accounts but 
tradition tells us that he was executed. And so, but Paul had this burning desire to really just get to this church. He wanted to be there. He wanted, and we're going to see right now as to why he wanted to be there. But when you, li- when you listen to this letter, and I'm going, to, I'm going to just read the first seven verses of chapter 2. And I'd like for you to listen to what Paul's heart is saying as he writes to the people in Colossae. Chapter, chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen my face or seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Father in heaven, I want to thank you again for this portion of scripture. As Paul's letter resonated throughout all history up to this point, we too can hear his word and his heart and his passion for this church and for the people in Laodicea and the people in the other cities and surrounding cities around him. And I thank you, Father, that we have this transcript to be able to read and to be able to meditate upon. Holy Spirit, you saw it good to bring it to us at this point at this time in history for us. And so, Father, lead us this morning in all things, as you always do. Thank you for blessing us with so much this last year. Even the adversity that we've all faced, even the, the struggles that we faced throughout the year, it's made us stronger and it's brought us together and it's given us hope and it's given us uh, encouragement. And I know, Lord, that you still have some great things to do through this group, this people, uh, your body, your church. So thank you, Father, for the honor and the privilege of being the pastor and for leading this group, I pray. Lead us this morning through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Paul says, I want you to know how great a struggle I am going through for you, for the people of Laodicea, for the people in, uh, in Colossus, for the people in Hierapolis. And, and what, what he's talking about, he says, you know, I've been struggling. I've been, I've been not necessarily like a, you know, I, I'm struggling to get out of bed. The word that he uses here, the Greek word is agon, where we get the word agony from. Uh, the word agony is, uh, is, is where we get this agon word, where he's really just working at it. It's, it's what the, it's what the, athletes would do as they would struggle to to get fit and to to be ready to fight and this is what Paul is saying he says you know I struggle I I get fit I I'm I'm praying and I, I just want you to know how much it it hurts me sometimes just to think about you guys and all this this false doctrine that is coming your way remember that the people in Coloss and the surrounding cities were all being attacked by Gnosticism and Jewish tradition and everything else it's Jesus Christ plus Jesus Christ and and they were trying to add more to the grace of God. And as I mentioned before, and I'll keep mentioning it again, what I've been walking you through these last several months is the, uh, the, the twofold Christology. Christology is twofold, that the, the divinity of Christ, which Jesus Christ is God, and that Jesus Christ is sufficient, the sufficiency of Christ, the divinity of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. I haven't called it Christology, but I've been sharing that with you. This is exactly what it is. And what we're sharing with you, what I'm trying to help you see, is that Jesus Christ is God. 
And this is one of the things that the Gnostics would not bring, you know, would, would, would even come to grips with. But Paul is fighting this heresy. He's fighting this and he's talking to them and, and he would like to be there. He says, I, I mean, I, I would just like to be there to help you guys to see this. There are a lot of thoughts and a lot of ideas and a lot of things that are going on around the world. We were talking about a few things this last um, Friday night at our Bible study. And, uh, and we were talking about, you know, do, do, do people come back from the dead? Well, you know, there are a lot of experiences that people have seen and they've experienced a lot of things. They've written books about these things. They, you know, and, and one, of the, one of the books, I believe, it's called Heaven is Real. You know, and I've shared this with you before. You know, if, if it agrees with the scriptures, then okay, I don't need it. And if it disagrees with scripture, then I don't want it. And, and just the title itself, if you think about it, heaven is real. Well, of course it's real. I know that already. I don't need somebody to tell me that it's real. But, you know, and, and what people fall into is this dying and coming back, dying and coming back, and dying and coming back. The Bible clearly teaches that man is destined to die once and then be judged. Now, I don't know what people are experiencing or what they're going through. I don't know how they are, are falling into these uh, ideas of, you know, having a second life or a third life. You're not a cat. You don't have nine lives. <laughs> you know, you have one. And you have to, that life has to be born again. But there is a second resurrection. There is one death and there's one, a second resurrection. And what we have to do is be ready, as, as far as disciples of Jesus Christ, to face that resurrection to be ready to be able to come to Christ. <coughs> and Christology is, is very important. It's the centerpiece of Paul's teaching. Christology, once again, is knowing that Jesus Christ is God and knowing that Jesus Christ is all you need. And so as we've been going through this, I'm going to keep reminding you and keep reminding you that this is all we need. You don't need a, an experience. You don't need another teacher. You don't need anything else. You, all you need is the Word of God. God's Word is sufficient and so what Paul is doing here is he's, like I said, he's lifting the curtain of his heart. He's showing a glimpse of who he is. He's showing the struggle that he has for the, those that he loves in Laodicea and Coloss and, and those that are in, in the, in the other places of the region. And, and, and so the struggle is in his prayer. Now, I don't know if you've ever struggled in prayer as you pray for people, as you pray for events, as you pray for things. And, and what, when we pray, we pray God's will to be done. And God's will is being done. Okay, first and foremost. And God's will needs to be done not only in the country, in the world, but it has to be done in my life. God's already doing His will. And so my prayer needs to align with God's will. And the only way that I can align to God's will is if I communicate with Him. And God will show me, this is what I'm doing. And instead of praying, God, you know, come join me in what I'm doing. You know, I'm trying to get this done, God. I'm doing this for you. God is saying... I don't need you to do anything for me because I'm already taking care of everything. It's already done. I need for you to join me. And Paul's struggle, especially in prison, Paul's struggle with the people in Colossus, Paul's struggle with the Laodiceans, the people in Hierapolis, the, Paul's struggle was to try to get these people submitted and underneath the lordship of Jesus Christ so that other, other teachings wouldn't come in and they would distort them and cause them to go into different places and so it was a struggle it was agonizing in a sense and it is agonizing i i, I you know for the life of me sometimes I, I can't i don't understand how people can can do that one person that got up and spoke at a funeral my mom's funeral says you know we're all angels we're all going to get to heaven we're all going to be there and all we have to do is just wait and i had to stand up the next day and say you know it's people think that they can get to heaven by all they have to do is just 
die. And there is no, there is no sense of uh, lordship. There's no sense of surrender. There's no sense of repentance. The Bible is clear that the wrath of God is on everyone. The wrath of God is being displayed in all the universe that there's no one righteous, no, not one. The Bible is clear that, that many are going to come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, he's going to say, depart from me for I never knew you. The Bible is clear that the road is wide to destruction and the road is narrow to everlasting life. That there's going to be goats and sheep, wheat and tares, good fish, bad fish, a lake of fire. And who's that lake of fire for? Who, what's this, all this separation being done for? It's those that are his and those that aren't. And to say, you know, something like that, and, and I try to be as, as uh, well, you know me, I try to be uh, as, as, uh, as, as pointed as possible. However, I did it in love, at least I think I did. And, and, and nobody, nobody gets to heaven just because they die. You know? And nobody really knows if I'm going to heaven or if you're going to heaven. We really don't. The evidence is there, I hope. I see the evidence in your life. I see your, your desire to get closer to God, to grow in His life. I see your desire to come to know His Word. And so the evidence is there. And so my responsibility is to help you to grow in that, to teach you, to help you to grow in all these things that are, that are going on in your life. And so the struggle is, is not for himself alone, but his struggle is for the people that he's preaching to and, he's, and, and he's, he's teaching. My struggle, a lot of times, is for you. You, you know, it, it is disappointing sometimes when we come to church and there's a few people here, but, but I don't want to focus on those that aren't here. I want to focus on those who are here. That's what I want to do. You know, because if I were to focus on those that don't show up, you, you know, and, and it, is just, it is discouraging, but I thank God that all of you are here today. You know, ready to start the new year off right. Amen? Oh, come on. A little, amen? amen? All right, let people on Facebook hear you. Amen? amen. <laughs> All right. Yeah, they're kind of wondering, who's out there? I wonder who it is. And, and so my struggle a lot of times is for you. And, and I want you to know that sometimes I'll hear something, and, and I want to share with you. You'll ask me questions, and I, and I can give you my opinion but what I want to do is show you what it says in the Bible. I'd like for you to be able to handle that properly as well. Well, this is what the Bible says. And people will disagree with the Bible. They'll disagree with you all, all day long. And I could be wrong, you know, myself, but the Bible's never wrong. So I'm not going to give my opinion. I'm going to give you what the Bible says. So the marks of a faithful church, number one, is that they have a courageous heart. A church, of marks of, of a faithful church, a church of courageous hearts. Hearts that are encouraged, hearts that are strong, hearts that are being developed. And the heart for the Jewish person in the first century and prior has always been the centerpiece of the person's mind or thinking. And, and it's, it's not necessarily the, the muscle that pumps the blood through your veins as we know now. You have these, these, uh, these arteries and veins that go all through your body and pumps this life-saving blood through your, your body. It's not that. But for the Jewish people, it was always what they thought, always what they believed, always where the center of life was. And so for, for Paul to say this, he says, you know, that their hearts may be encouraged and be knit together in love. He says the word encouraged is parakalian. Parakalian is the word that was used for the Holy Spirit, parakletes. And, and parakletes is the one that comes alongside, one that encourages, one that not only just comes alongside, but one that causes you to really focus on what it is that you need to do. I think one of the best examples 
to use about an encourager, one that was getting ready to, to just get, be built up and get encouraged. One of the best examples that I can come up with right now is through, don't know if you've ever seen the movie Braveheart. You know, and, uh, and Braveheart is, is a, a movie about a guy named William Wallace. Mel Gibson plays this movie. And there's, a, there's the nobles, the Scottish nobles that are going up against the, 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 the British or the, uh, the English. They're going up against the English, and the army is huge. And they're very poor, and they got pitchforks and shovels and swords and whatnot. And they're getting ready to take off. This is, you know, I'm not going to die for these guys. You know, <laughs> look at that army. They're going to kill us all. And, and William Wallace drives up, and he gives a speech. He says, look, I see here... Countrymen, men of, of valor, people that are willing to risk everything they have for freedom. And this army that was timid and that was afraid and that was, was looking at this, the odds that were against them were raised up and says, we can do this. And they did. You know, they fought against the, the English and, and they won that battle. And, and so, so this encouragement that Paul wants you to have is this encouragement that you can do this. Paul's word is, I want you, I want to encourage you that your hearts may be encouraged and courageous hearts to say, I can do this. In 2023, I can do this. I can take care of my spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. I can get closer to Jesus Christ. I can grow in his word. Many of you have read the Bible. Some of you have tried to read the Bible. Some of you are trying to understand it. You can do it. I know you can. I know you can. If you knew my history, you know, I, I was kicked out of high school. I was a rotten kid. I didn't learn anything until the Holy Spirit got a hold of me and says, okay, it's time for you to learn. And by that time, I realized, wow, you know, I can do this. Then I went to college. I says, really? I never even went to high school. As a matter of fact, as I was uh, working as an associate pastor in the first church that I attended, where I got saved at, they asked me, so, so, so what school did you go to? You know, and they're talking about seminary. I said, well, I went to Madera High. Uh, Madera High, yeah, but I got kicked out too, so I didn't really do much there, you know. So they're looking at me, okay, <laughs> I don't know about this guy. And I didn't know. You know, but it, it, that was over 30, 33 years, 35 years ago, that the Lord had infused upon me His Holy Spirit and has enabled me all these years. And I never thought I knew anything until I'm looking back in my life, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago, I'm looking back, I'm thinking, wow. You know, it's just, it's just being able to stick to it. The Holy Spirit comes alongside you and encourages you. Pastors have come alongside me and encouraged me. My pastor came alongside me and encouraged me and encouraged me. I want to come alongside you and encourage you. Because I know you can do this. You're thinking, you know what? This is too hard. This material is too deep. It's too far. You know, maybe it was, if it was a little bit easier. And beloved, trust me. I've been wanting to bring it down to some level. But, but, you know, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't do that to my grandson. I wouldn't do that to my grandchildren. I give them the gospel truth. And I share the words of God with them. And if I'm not going to do it to my grandchildren, and, you know, maybe they might not understand the whole thing, but they get it. I'm not going to do that with you. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be educated. All you have to be is willing to receive what the Holy Spirit wants to give you. He is the one that comes alongside you and encourages you. And gives you the faith that you need to be able to receive the word of God. See, it, Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged. That's his prayer. That's what he's agonizing for. That's what he's wanting for them to, to come and grow. That your hearts would be encouraged so you can stand up to all this false doctrine that's around you. Number two, a faithful church. The marks of a faithful church is a church united in love. A church united in love. You, you know, I... 
for, for some of us here, you know, we're, we're fairly new to each other, you know, we're not really all that, you know, I mean, even a year, two years, and, and that's only on Sundays sometimes, you know, and, and maybe once or twice during the week. But this last Friday night when we got together, there was such love that was poured out in the small group. It, it, it's something that you cannot really, uh, you, you can't fake, you can't fake that. This, this love that, that we're being knit together in is a love that's going to hold us together. And, and I know it's, it's kind of strange for some people, especially when you come from a background that was unlovable, that parents weren't that close, that parents weren't that united. You know, one of the things that, and I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm sorry, but I have to, have to share this. One of the things that really stood out during my mom's memorial service of the reception was all the love that these grandkids bestowed upon the people that were there. They not only purchased the food, they not only prepared the food, but they served the food. And people were saying, wow, I've never seen such a thing. You know, this is, some of the people were saying, I hope my grandkids do this for me. <laughs> you know, well, you have to be honorable. A lifetime of love and service that my mom had given for pe people would come in and she would feed them and she would give them a cup of coffee. And, and, and I'm starting to see that here with us. For those of you that stick around and, and have coffee with us and have, have some donuts. The donuts is, is not for you necessarily to have a donut. It's intentional to keep us together. I have been told often that this church, as small as it is, we have a lot of love. And when the rest of San Bernardino finds out how much love is being poured out in here, we're going to have to lock the doors to keep people out. Well, <laughs> or, or have another service. <laughs> we can do that. Because people want to be loved. They do. That is just a, na a basic, natural instinct. We all want to be loved. We all want to matter. We all want to know that, that we can contribute to something bigger than us. We all want to be able to, to be able to, to do something with ourselves. And the church is the greatest and the best place possible because what you do reflects for all eternity. It's not just for the moment. It's not just for the children at that time or for this, this political party or whatever the case may be. This reflects and echoes throughout all eternity. And it's the love that is being knit together. And that you can't fake that. You can't. Right, Shirley? You can't fake that. Yeah. And Shirley's one that's told me, there's a lot of love in here. <laughs> right? Right, Richard? You can't fake that, huh? No, you can. Right, Mercedes? You can't fake that. Love is here. And, and what? I'm sorry? That's why, that's why I'm here, because I love you guys, because you guys love me. Yeah. I mean, you know, even if you didn't love me, I'd still be here. Throw tomatoes. No. <laughs> but see, the marks of a faithful church for this next year, for us, needs to be a church united in love. You know, Paul said in, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, you know, if, if, I have, if, I, if I have the tongues of angels and the tongues of men, but not love, I'm just a sound, resounding Kong. You know, if I can move mountains and have faith and all the, you know, and, and I don't have love, then you know what? I, I'm just, I'm nothing. As a matter of fact, let's turn there to 1 Corinthians 13. This way we can, we can see this. And, and the, the interesting thing is that a lot of people use this verse as um, in, in weddings, which is rightly so, the way, to, the way to describe love, what love is. But see, 1 Corinthians 13, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and in the tongues of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, 
I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. See, you can be the smartest, the most giving, the most sacrificial person in the world, but if you don't have any love, Paul says you're nothing. It's nothing. Love has to be patient. Love has to be kind. Love, I mean, it, 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 just, it just does not envy. It doesn't. Or it doesn't boast. Genuine love is not arrogant. And it's not rude. Okay? It does not insist on its own way. In business meetings, or in church, or in Bible studies, and insists that it has to be this way and this way only. That's not the way it works. It is not irritable or resentful. In other words, it doesn't get upset. Okay, then we'll do it your way. It does not require, it does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. It never ends. When we talk about love, being united in love, we're talking about a church that is, that is in love, number one, with Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit uniting us in that love for one another. Love is not an emotion. It's not a feeling. Love is an action. It's something that we do. Love is, is being able to, to put yourself aside and then put the other person first. Uh, I'm going to read a verse here in just a little bit. Well, as a matter of fact, in the back of your outlines in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, if under, under point number 6, and I'll go back over it again, but it says this, it says, I therefore, a prison for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Eager, 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 excuse me. Paul says, going back to point number two, Paul says in Philippians 2, 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Number three, a church, uh, the marks of a faithful church is a church filled with wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge are synonymous, yet they're not the same. See, wisdom... Knowledge, first of all, is the critical thinking, the understanding, the things that you know, the things that you understand and, and you, you see them and, and you can think, figure things out. But wisdom is applying those biblical principles to everyday life. So you may know a lot of biblical facts, but if you don't have the wisdom to put them into practical living, See, we, we, we say that we're a Reformed theological church for practical living, Reformed theology for practical living, because you may know a lot of stuff, and you might understand a lot of stuff, but if you're not living it out, you don't have the wisdom. Our church, the church, a faithful church, is one that is filled with wisdom and knowledge. He says in verse 3, To whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, as he's talking about the people in Colossus. Let me go back and read this again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love to reach all the riches and full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. This is Paul's prayer. He wants us to reach that. This is my prayer. I want us to reach that. 
I want you to be able to say, you know what? When somebody comes up to you and says, you know, what, what about dreams and visions? You know, what about those things? Well, let's see what the Bible says. What does the Bible say? What about uh, angels? You know, are we supposed to worship angels? Well, let's see what the Bible says. When people come up to you with a different doctrine, you need to be able to go to the Bible and say, this is what the Bible says. You've read this, thing, this stuff before. You've read these verses. I've shared these verses with you before. Now you need to know where they're at, and you need to present them, and not in a you know, antagonistic way or a demeaning way or a humiliating way. What are you, stupid? <laughs> you don't do that. Well, you know, I understand what you've been through. I understand you might have gone through some things. You might have seen something, but what does the Bible say? See, because what they, can't, they can argue with you and your viewpoint, but they cannot argue with what the Bible says. At the heart of this understanding, the church needs to have settled convictions about Christ's deity and sufficiency. Christology. You need to have settled in your heart that Jesus Christ is God and that Jesus Christ is all you need. You don't need other prayers. You don't need to knock on doors. You don't need to come to church every Sunday to be saved. You don't need to give your money. You don't need to do those things. But because you are saved, you want to do those things. You want to grow closer to God. You want to knock on some doors. You want to tell people about Jesus Christ. You want to be able to invest in something bigger than yourself. But that's not going to get you saved. You want to pray. You want to fellowship. You want to come together. And uh, as you probably heard, we have a, a volunteer's appreciation banquet for all of you that, is, that has participated in one way or another uh, this last year, whether it was through the puppet show, whether it was through bringing something to eat, you all, because we do appreciate what you do. We want you to know that. But what Paul says here is he wants us to grow in this wisdom and knowledge. Number four, the marks of a faithful church is the ability to resist false teachers. The ability to resist false teachers. Or false teachings, I think, is the way I have it. Yes, false teachings. False teachers, false teachings. You know, and, and probably more false teachings because the false teachers are going to teach the, the, their disciples, and the disciples are the ones that are going to be, you know, going, well, this is what my pastor said, and this is what I believe, and this is what I understand. And, and so the, the, the whole point of what Paul is trying to do here, remember, he had this, this, uh, this heresy that was rising up, this Gnosticism. That matter was, was evil and the spirit was good. And so therefore, anything that you did in this world, it didn't matter because it was all going to be wasted away anyways. It was going to be torched. So the flesh, the, you know, the body, everything, you can eat, drink, whatever it is that you want to do with your body, do it. You know, because it, all that matters was the spirit. And because the spirit was the one, the knowledge that you received, that's why they call it Gnosticism, the knowledge that you received was able to get you to a higher plane. And remember, <clears throat> Gnostics believed that God is holy and God is pure, and he sent these emanations, these pulses of energy, these, these spirits, I guess, in a sense, and all of them were bad emanations, and they were, they were just reaching the earth. And one of those bad emanations created this planet. And we, we talked about this when we said that Jesus Christ is the creator of all things. All things were created by him and for him, and, and he holds everything together. And one of these emanations, according to their theology, was that, that you know, that he made, that, that uh, this emanation, this bad emanation, made the world, and this world is all evil. We know the world is evil, and that's how they would justify the, the wickedness of the world. <clears throat> and it's interesting, because even today, we still have that kind of thought and this philosophy, this idea, that it doesn't matter. All you have to do is be smart enough. People that are very wise, people that are very, well, I, I wouldn't say wise, probably more knowledgeable. 
that have, have experienced a lot of things and have read a lot of things. And, and sometimes they get to the point where they are too smart for their own britches, is what some people would say. They, they, they've, they've, they've outsmarted God and taken God out of the equation because now everything has been, you know, everything has evolved. And for some reason, you can't argue with people that believe that this world just happened. It, it's hard to get across to people that have this understanding, this education, that this world just was, boom, created all on its own over the, the millions and millions of years of evolution. And that man came from an amoeba, a germ, into a toad, a frog, uh, you know, and, and then a, a monkey. And, and so therefore, here we are, boom, you know, we've, we've evolved to what we are now. And, and people really, truly believe that this is how it's, it's been. And from the very beginning of time, they have been trying to get God out of the equation. And when you can get God out of the equation and find the links that make evolution plausible, then you don't need God. You don't. And so, <clears throat> there, there, it, with that in mind, now think about all the other religious teachings that are happening. This religious teaching that, that was coming into the church, yes, Jesus Christ died for our sins, but you know, Jesus Christ wasn't really a person. He was a spirit, and uh, he was an emanation, and he was a, a good emanation, not a bad emanation. He was like the angels, and uh, not like the demons, but, but all he was was an emanation. The Bible teaches us that God is Jesus, and Jesus is God. And we have to understand this. We have to come to the understanding that when you, when you talk to people about God and Jesus Christ, that you know, that you know that you know that Jesus Christ is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not three gods, okay? It's one God. And this God, he reveals himself as God the Son. He reveals himself as God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And, and we see him at work in all things. <clears throat> and so the church has to have the ability to resist these false teachers or fall into everything else. you got to come back to what does the Bible say. Paul says in verse 4, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And there are a lot of good arguments out there. There really is. There are a lot of good arguments trying to uh, get across what 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 they believe and what they think. Paul tells Timothy that these things are doctrines of demons in Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.1. As a matter of fact, he says, if anybody comes to you with a different gospel other than Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it is by, it is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And Paul says, even if an angel were to come to you, even if anybody, if one of us were to come to you with a different gospel, that person must be cursed. And we have churches that tell you, you, you know, in order for you to go to heaven, you have to be baptized as a baby. We have churches that tell you, in order for you to go to heaven, you have to do certain sacraments. We have churches that tell you that in order for you to go to heaven, you must speak in tongues. We have churches that tell you that in order for you to go to heaven, you must knock on so many doors. You must do so many things. You must do, do, do. And Paul says... In, second, in uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, For it is by grace that you're saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. Grace, through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Nothing else. He's the one that has set you where you are. Just like you couldn't be born into this world, and you had no making, no, no influence of your own doing. 
God took this woman and took this man and brought them together with their DNA and made you at just the right time. You had no input whatsoever. Jesus tells Nicodemus that flesh can only beget flesh and spirit begets spirit. A man must be born again. Not born the first time. And it's very simple. If you equate it as, as such, if you look at it, well, yeah, I had no, no, do, no doing for myself for my, you know, when I was first born. I came into this world. Of course I'm, I'm alive. I'm here. Of course I was born. I'm here. Your salvation is the same way. You cannot do anything for your salvation. God himself elected you. And he predestined you. And he chose you. And because he's done that, I, 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 I'm always wondering, why me, Lord? After all the stuff that I've seen and done and places I've been, Lord, I, you know, I, I am, I'm, right now I'm just embarrassed and, and sickened. Just even those thoughts coming through my mind of the places that, and things, and it, it just, you know, and, I, and I, it causes me to fall on my face. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Because of what you've done for me. I couldn't do it. There's no way that I could do it. And so Paul is saying, you see, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. I don't want you to be deluded. Turn with me to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. We, we've, we've covered this before, and I, I just need to cover it over and over again. I just want you to know, Matthew 24, Jesus is talking about the end times. Okay? Jesus is talking about the end times. The disciples, what they did is they left the temple. And they're going their way. And one of the disciples points at the temple and says, hey, look at this temple. Isn't this great? And he says, and, and in verse uh, 2, but he answered them, you see all these? Do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And then in verse 3, he says, as he sat down on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age. This is a question that has been asked over and over and over again. This is a question many of you probably asked, and some of you have even stated it publicly and wondered. Some of you have probably read some books uh, and uh, you know saw some movies in the end times because it did something that we wanna we wanna do. Some people are afraid of even reading the Book of Revelation because you know it, it's scary to some people. Some people don't want to see what's in the Book of Revelation. You know the Book of Revelation is God revealing Himself. Some people tell me that, you know, the book of Revelation is really difficult to understand. And I always state, why do you think God would write 65 books that we can read and understand, and then at the end he just throws one in there that'll just mess you up? Why would he do that? Well, I don't know. I mean, he didn't. The book of Revelation could be understood if you understand what it is that he's writing about. You got to remember, a lot of things are symbolic. It's apocryphal is what it's called. It's symbolic in the book of Revelation. When they talk about the number 666, the people in the Old Testament or in the first century, they knew what John was talking about. 666 is the mark of the beast or the mark of man and the mark of the beast. And, and they understood it. We just have to go back and find out, okay, what, what, what was that? And we do make a good study out of that. It's kind of like um, if I were to ask you, what does 9-11 mean to you? What does 9-11 mean to you, by the way? The what? The call from the Lord? Okay. Oh, 911? Oh, <laughs> yeah, now, okay. That's good. Anybody else? Yeah? 
terrorists, right? Yeah, the towers. Most people go, go to 9-11, they think about the towers, the twin towers and terrorists. You know, and, and as a matter of fact, we're starting to get so far away from it now, people are starting to forget it. You know, but when you say 9-11, you know what that means. So most people do. They go, oh yeah, that's the, the towers. You even, it even takes you right back to where you were at. When you saw it the first time on TV or you heard about it in the radio. You know, it takes you right back to that place. And you remember how, how awful it was. You know, and if I were to say uh, the bears, the rams, and the lions, what would I be talking about? <laughs> Football, right? See, and, and they use animals, they use animals in, in the, in the uh, book of Revelation to reflect certain things. And you see, those things make sense to us, you know, but maybe not to people that only like soccer, or they call it football, I don't know. But anyways, excuse me. But all I'm saying is that the book of Revelation could be understood. And, and see, a lot of people don't want to talk about the end times. And when things happen in this world, when there's wars, when there's famines, when there's diseases, all these COVID things that happened these last couple of years, you know, people are wondering, is this the end time? The end time can be marked by this. Look at, and Jesus says in verse 4, <clears throat> and Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. The very first thing that Jesus Christ says, beware that no one leads you astray. And then he talks about wars and rumors of wars. That's where most people go. Wars and rumors of wars. Earthquakes. Pestilence. That's where most people go. They jump right over this warning that Jesus Christ says, beware. Beloved, I want you to be a faithful church. I want you to be a faithful church that is willing to not be deluded not and to resist these false teachings. I want you to be a faithful church that understands what the Bible teaches about who Jesus Christ is. Look at, uh, Go down a little bit further with me. And in verse 10 it says, And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. Once again, being led astray. Turn over to, uh, uh, well, verse 20, 23. Then, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. These false prophets, these false Christs, these people are going to do some wonders, some great things. And they're going to say, I went to heaven. I saw an angel. I saw God. And, and you know, I, I was able to, to talk to God. And he sent me back home. He says, go tell people about God. And you know what? I don't need somebody to go to heaven and come back down and tell me about God because I know about God. What are they trying to do? There are people that are doing things and saying things and experiencing things, these signs and these wonders, that they are so profound that they could even lead the elect, if it was possible. If it was possible. It's not going to be possible. You will not be led astray. You see, and the reason why you won't be led astray is because you're in the Word. You're going through a discipleship class. You're learning more about God's Word. You're learning more about who Jesus Christ is, the, the sovereignty of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ. You're learning about His deity and His sufficiency. You're learning that that's all you need. 
And you serve him because that's all you need. And it, it's, it doesn't, doesn't make sense that he would save a person like me. And, but, but because he did, I'm going to serve him. And I'm going to stay away from sin as much as possible. And it's going to make me sick if I do sin. And I'm going to come to Christ and say, have mercy upon me, a sinner. Because that's what I am. I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I want you to know, beloved, that when you get into God's word, the marks of a faithful church will have the ability to resist false teachers. Not just the pastor. I'm sharing with you how to do this. But the congregation itself, you as well. Number five, the marks of a faithful church has a soldier's discipline. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Order and firmness to the Colossians are two words that present a vivid picture, for they're both military words. The word order is, uh, which means to rank or to order or to put put in a certain line and to march in order. And it was a word that was military and they knew it. And the church should be like an ordered army with every member in his uh, place, appointed place, with his gifts and his ability, everyone doing what they have been gifted to do. I saw that during the uh, Christmas uh, party that we had. I saw that during the uh, fireman's banquet. Everybody's doing what they're gifted to do. You know, some of you have the spiritual gift of cooking. Uh, and, and praise God, because I have the spiritual gift of eating. <laughs> you know? Some of you guys come up with some good stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, see how we work together? Yeah. And, and the firmness, the word translated firmness, which means a, a, a solid defense and immovable. Not only, not only the, the formation, but when you stand with the shield and the spear, and, and nothing can knock you over because you've got your, your, your pivot points right. You don't stand like this so the enemy can push you over right away, but you stand like this in firmness. And when Paul says, says, for though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. We have a soldier's discipline. We have a discipline that is going to hold us firm in spite of anything that might happen in your life. Regardless of what you may go through, you will not throw it all away because you're standing firm. God, this hurts. God, this is painful. God, I, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he says, I'm encouraging you. You can do this. You can do this because I'm encouraging your heart. You're united in love because you, are, you, have, you have not only have the knowledge of the things that I've taught you, but you have the wisdom to be able to stand firm. And you're not letting any of these false teachings come by because you're a disciplined soldier. Number six, stand firm walking in Christ. We've talked a lot about walking, Padre Pateo. Therefore, as you receive Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Again, in Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, Therefore, uh, I, Paul, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is one, one of Paul's favorite words, walk in His ways. In other words, let this be your lifestyle. Let this be how you, what you do. This is how you act and react. Through God's word, walk in this way. Stand firm in this way. Stand firm in walking this way. He says in 1 John 2, 6, John does, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walks. Number seven is uh, uh, the, the marks of a faithful church is rooted and built up in faith. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught. Abounding in thanksgiving. Rooted. And, and, and so being rooted, 
Being rooted, is, it's, let me have you turn to Psalm chapter 1 very quickly. Being rooted is being immovable. Another, another term that we had uh, a little while ago, firmness. But in Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite Psalms. <clears throat> Just let me know when you get there. Say amen. All right. The book of Psalm is right in the middle of the Bible. Just put your Bible like this and open it up. You should have Psalm somewhere right there. And then you go to chapter 1, the very first chapter. And, and, and if you don't have it there, if you're not there yet, you know, write it down. Because I want you to look at this verse and, and live by this verse. Because here's what, here's what God says. He says this through David. Blessed is the man who, whose walk is, and there's that word walk, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the Lord, in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water. Look at that picture. Think, see that picture in your mind's eye. Look in your mind's eye and see a tree just planted by a river. Just flourishing because it's getting all the nutrients out of the water. All the rock and all the minerals that come down the river. It is just sucking it out of that river because it is planted right there. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Stand firm. Be planted. Be built up, rooted and built up. Rooted deep down your roots into the Word of God. And the last thing I want to share with you is... Uh, is that a, 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 the marks of a faithful church has an attitude of gratitude. Has an attitude of gratitude. Abounding in thanksgiving. We can be thankful for anything and everything in spite of what's going on in life. I'm thankful that you're here. Amen? You know, I'm discouraged that some of those aren't here, but I'm grateful and thankful that you're here. And I'm thankful that you're willing to learn and to move forward. And I'm thankful because the marks of a faithful church, as Paul is describing here, and he's talking to the people in Colossus, these are the things that you need to hold on to, that, that your hearts be courageous, that you're united in love and wisdom and knowledge and, and, and to be able to resist this false teaching that's coming in from all kinds of places. And to have a soldier's discipline, standing firm in Christ, rooted and built up in faith, and have this attitude of gratitude. Always. Always. You know, we always look at the negative. We always look at the things that we don't have. We always look at, and, and our minds are just built that way. We're wired that way. You know, we can have nine great things happen, but if one thing goes wrong, then it all goes wrong. We have to have that attitude of gratitude, even for that one thing that went wrong. Because that one thing that went wrong, that one thing that went bad, helps me to look at all the great things that had just happened. Thank you, Lord, for, for showing me, yeah, you know, that I, first of all, that I'm human, you know, that I'm a sinner and I mess up. Thank you for showing me that. I thank you that I messed up. I thank you that I broke my leg. That was stupid. <laughs> I won't do that again. I, whatever the case may be. Instead of thinking, it, oh, my God, everything happens to me. It always happens to me. I'm always, you know, those words that we use, you know, that always, everything, all, you know, everyone, 
Everyone hates me. It's just that one person. I was counseling with good friends of mine here just recently. And they were telling me that, you know, there's two couples. And this whole group of people that they know. Two couples that are just bad-mouthing and bad-mouthing. I said, stop right there. You're going to focus on those two, two couples? Where you got every, you know, I'm here. I love you guys. And everywhere you guys go, you guys make friends. Don't focus on that. It's going to ruin your week. It's going to ruin your year. Walk with us. And be grateful, even for the bad things. Even for the things that seem to take place this next year. We don't know what 23 has. We don't. You know, if it's anything like 20 and 21, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. But I can guarantee you that if we want to be a faithful church, we will walk as Paul is showing us how to walk. Let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, I, I want to thank you again for just this opportunity to go through your word. There's so much, Lord. So much that we've learned already. So much that we've been able to, to go through and, and decipher. And a lot of times it's, it's a lot. But Lord, these are very simple. I pray that we can take Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, memorize this portion of scripture and become that faithful church. A church of courageous hearts. Because you have come alongside us. You have encouraged us. We can do this and we can take it to heart. A church that is united in love as it has been and continues to grow. Every week we grow in love. The more that we unite, the more that we grow together. I thank you, Lord, that you've got us, that you've already given us the knowledge. Now give us the wisdom. Help us to use this knowledge to be able to put it into practice in our life. And give us the ability to resist the false teachers and false teachings. Lord, we want to line everything up to your word and what it says. And if we're in doubt, it's okay, Lord. We can doubt. And if we, we are, we're not certain, I pray that you help us to, to get to the right answer. And Father, just for the, the soldier's discipline. It takes discipline to get here in the morning on Sundays. It takes discipline to make it to Bible studies on Wednesdays. It takes discipline. And I pray, Father, that you keep us uh, in good order and firm in, in our stance as we walk in Christ and mimic him and follow him and do as he's, he's done. As Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And Lord, I know that as we are rooted and built up and established in the faith, just as we were taught, that we will abound in thanksgiving. So thank you, Father, for this glorious morning, this ability to be able to start together as one and go and grow together. Lord, I pray your blessing upon your people that they grow together. I pray these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Stick around. Oh, yeah.